you know, if we have a whole conversation about the games before we're actually recording, then what's the point of the recording? You know, it's, I, I thought you were just tricking us and you'd already pressed record. So. No, 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 not yet. So welcome, audience, to uh, Season 8, Episode 2 of Mentioned in Dispatches. I, I, I'm pretty confident in spitting out the numbers this early in the season because I don't think we're going to get out of sequence that quickly. So so this is Episode 2, and tonight we've got some returning voices. OJ's dad, our buddy Mike, is back. Mike, how are you? I'm good tonight. There he goes. Mike's on a bit of a lag. Mike is actually recording from the moon, and so we've got that time lag where we've got to transmit the message through the atmosphere out to the moon back from him. Which side are you on, man? Are you on the side with the American flag or the side where the Chinese dropped their landers on the dark side? Um, I'm kind of in the middle in the cave there that was created by the aliens. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were in the... uh, the giant wing cave from the uh, the menace from Earth, where they could actually fly in the Highline story because the low gravity and the, the updrafts of the uh, the ventilation system, they actually put on wings and go fly in there. So, there's an obscure Highline reference for you right there. And the first time in a long time, our buddy Chris is back. Metal Dog, how is it hanging? Oh, awesome! Glad to be back, man. I always enjoy putting my two cents in on things I have no idea what I'm talking about. Dude, that's <laughs> Look, it's a podcast, man. It's fine, right? <laughs> a couple of friends having a chat, and we're letting everybody else eavesdrop. So, so who cares? <clears throat> the reason we've dragged these two gentlemen in tonight, our episode tonight, we're going to take a look at the Civilization series games. And one of the reasons we're bringing these guys in, the the Civ series, uh, let's face it, they're not pure war games, right? I mean, they're 4X games, which is kind of war game adjacent. Uh, if you're a bit of a warmonger, they can become a war game in a big hurry. And that and that's fine. Like, that's how some people prefer to play. and And some people really enjoy that and you don't have to play that way to win but that's okay one of the things that we've had going at the dragoons for a while now is we've we've got a fairly robust set of online multiplayer games going using civ 6's play by cloud feature on steam and so it's one of those things where you get a notification hey it's your turn you can go play your turn and then check it in and then the next person takes over and i Mike, you're in four of these right now, five of them. I think you're in four right now, aren't you? Because we wrapped up the one that Vance yeah, beat us. Yeah, beat us four on. or five. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, I think you're only in two right now, right? I am in two. Yes, correct. Yeah. So I'm I'm in three of them. I'm in the two Chris's in plus another one. And I think at various times over the past two and a half, three years, We've had probably a different a dozen different games, maybe a little more uh, between the whole group that some are done, some were abandoned, some are still ongoing. And and it's a great way to just, you know, have some fun with the group. And, and what's nice about it is not everybody has to be live online at the same time. There's times where we'll miss a day or two. I think everybody was hung up waiting for me to get my turns in over the weekend. We had the ACDC going on. There are times where we'll get like five turns in one day done if folks have the freedom to sit around by their computers and get stuff knocked out Um, but it's been a fun way to sort of get the whole community playing something together and and we've got a 4x area on our forum specifically where we talk about some of these games so with all of that in mind chris you're the latest convert to civ 6 i know you weren't a fan of 5 
you were a big fan of four. Um, and then going back to three and two and, you know, you, you've played the series for a while. What are your early impressions of six as a relatively new player in that particular game? Well, the best thing that I can say so far is that it puts all of the victory condition goals in a much in a much easier fashion to understand. And not that the old style from four was all that difficult to understand. You know, if you wanted to go mm-hmm. for a cultural victory, all you had to do was just kind of look at your top three cities and see where you were against whoever the top guys were against you. However, in six, they have put they've put your science, your culture, they've put a whole bunch of different information uh, on top and it keeps you focused on the things that you're moving towards in a much better and much easier way to understand than it was in four. So um, seeing as that was my most recent thing to compare it to, that's as far back as I go. But I'll also say that I I am not a warmonger. And I would much prefer to beat you in a space race or spread my religion or, you know, any almost anything else other than try to conquer you. Not because I can't, not because I don't enjoy doing that. Uh, but uh, number one, the game gives you too much of a bad penalty for being a warmonger. And number two, I don't know, man, it just takes a long time to do it. It's not... Um, I don't mind the planning out phase. I don't mind moving the troops to where it is that they have to go in order to be effective. It's just, it seems to take forever and it slows the game down, especially when you're playing an online thing. Yeah, no, I I could see that. Something that I've liked about six, well, there's a bunch of things I like about six. A, A couple of the things I like about six are some things I think they have fixed from earlier editions. I like that the worker builder types they're called builders. They've been called workers in previous ones that they, they have a limited number of charges that can be affected by different policies that you're putting together. And so that's nice that, that you don't just have unlimited workers floating around the map that, that you kind of mass on doing certain things. Um, I do like that. I do like that the cities, the way they they overlap and interact, you can build more cities closer together than you, you used to be able to without too many detrimental effects. So those are two things that I do like about six that that change some of the dynamics. Mike, you've you've played a whole lot of six, probably as much as the two of us combined. Uh, Looking at six, comparing to some older editions, what's what's something you really like about six as you're uh, as you're looking at it moving forward here? Um, I I'm not sure. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I, I mean, even if it's not your preferred version, you know, you might have liked five better or four better, and that's cool. Like nobody's saying you gotta like, but yeah, but they've all got some things that they did better than others, and some things they did worse than others. Yeah, it, honestly, it's been so long since I played some of the others, though, that I, <laughs> I, 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 I would struggle to just to, to say I like this better than that, you know, type deal. So, yeah, um, let me ask you this: Do you like having stacks of units, or do you like only one per hex? I do not like the one per hex. Why? Well, okay, so so let me take take a step back first, okay. In, in my opinion, the, the computerized version of Civilization is just pretty much a, a straight port from a board game, right? And, and, and that's not a bad thing necessarily. Yeah. But when I say that, there's nothing within the Civ computer game that takes advantage of being in a computer system, right? 
Um, so, so with that caveat, I don't like the idea of having just one unit per hex because okay. to me, I, I early on early civilization, you want to have something like that, fine. But as time goes on, you should be able to develop more more uh, versatile armies and, and have it really mean something. Um, I've been doing some humankind, um, and, and in that game, you can build an army that has some archers and some cavalry and some infantry, but you're limited to like maybe six units early on. And then as time goes on and you develop new technologies and new civics and so forth, you can maybe add in some more units. Um, okay. I also look at it from like a, you know, from the science point of view, from, you know, the science is pretty linear. You, they do have the randomization of, of, uh, of, of the tech tree, but it's still pretty linear, I think. Um, I don't know. And, and kind of feel that way along with, with, with some of the building and, and so forth. You, you think maybe one of the goals would be at some point, hey, your civilization has developed the ability to have two things being built in a city with no penalty of, yeah. of limitation of, of, of manufactured goods or something. Um, I think probably the, it, to me, the biggest thing though, is just the small maps. It, well, just, is that it just seems just the size maps we've been playing on or even on the largest map option, it still feels too small for you. I just like that. I, I, I'm probably more like Chris and less, more less of the military type, the, the the world conquest, and more of developing a civilization and and doing some of the other things. So to me, I I'm just kind of a a wider empire versus a, a vertical empire yeah. um, type player. Okay, yeah, I, I I absolutely love the way that the cities grow out in six. I mean, in four, it was just exponential. From your fat cross, start at a square, go into fat cross, you expand one more time. That's as far as your borders go. They all look the same. In six, your borders, they just kind of pop in really odd directions. You know, you can only go three hexes from the center, but you're not going to immediately go from a square to a fat cross to one more expansion and you're done. It looks, sometimes it looks like a hot dog. Sometimes it looks like a baseball. Sometimes it looks like, you know, somebody punched their fish and fist and mashed potatoes. So the yeah. borders never have any kind of um, uniformity to them, which is always interesting. And the fact that you can buy hexes in order to grab uh, roads or, uh, resources or you know some sort of advantage over the guy next to you it, it's just a really neat thing and the one of the other things i really like is is the city states and i've noticed in the two games i've played in and we're only about 50 turns in both of them um there is already one city state out and i can understand the strategy behind doing that because you know, it's close to you and it's a city and now you have complete control over it and you've expanded your empire and you have more of everything, more culture, more science, more gold, all the rest of that stuff. So I get that. However, having the different city states and not only be able, being able to uh, benefit from having envoys in the city states, uh, you also can gain suzerainty over them. And of course, you're fighting with guys all around the map to be the suzerain of that city state. Yeah. And it never is permanent. 
so I can sit there and hold on to all my envoys and wait for the war with the guy across the world from me, and I need to get involved, and bam, I drop all my envoys, I pay to take over their military, and now I'm in the middle of the war with you, and I have just came in, you know, through the bathroom window, and you had no idea I was going to do that, so... Uh, that aspect of it, I love it. Yeah, I do feel like they've created a little more space for the city-states to do more than... Civ Five's concept of the city-states was pretty cool in that they gave you other actors on the planet to deal with besides just the big civilizations. And the ways in which they could provide you incentives to do things and provide you rewards for supporting them and vice versa. That was kind of cool, but it always felt like it wasn't fully realized. And, and I think in six, there's a lot more distinctiveness between the different kinds of city states out there. Every one of them has something unique about them, which is kind of cool. Some of them give you the ability to build special things in your city. Some of them give you production bonuses, you know, whatever kinds of other bonuses they've got. And those are kind of cool. The the way that they're, every one of them has something unique and different about it. I like that. I still feel like they're not quite full independent actors in the game the way they could be. And that, that all always feels a little underdeveloped to me. And, and I, six still kind of feels that way. I would love to see a pair of city states just randomly get in a war with each other with no prompting on the part of one of the big civs. I'd love to see a pair of city states cut some sort of, you know, dynastic marriage deal and all of a sudden two or three city states team up together and you just got a new civilization enter the game, you know, 60 turns into a 300 turn game. Now all of a sudden there's a new civilization on the on the map because a couple of city states teamed up. Now that would be neat. I would that, enjoy that's, that. That's something that I think would be fun to see and is not wholly unrealistic. You know, not every sieve that that is worthy of putting into the big game uh, necessarily started at 4000 BC or whenever the game starts. So, Mike, you've got a bunch of Civ 6 games under your belt. Of the different civilizations that you've played so far, do you have a favorite or a, a personal preference, one that you like going back to, even in solo games? I've been playing the Germans a lot, the Chinese some. Barbarossa? Right now, yeah, Barbarossa. So you like killing city-states? I was going to say, interesting yeah, I mean, you like playing the Germans, I, but you don't like going to war that much. Oh. Well, yeah, but there's different strategies that they can also win with, and, oh, yeah. and that's probably... The, the, the one thing I've been a little slow at is picking up on the different strategies. So um, in a lot of ways, yeah, I have a couple of games under my belt, but it's still very much a learning experience for me too. So yeah, yeah. right now I'm playing I, I, one of our games. I've, I'm Alexander the Great. So are you being great or are you just being Alexander? <laughs> uh, just being Alexander right now. So it's still pretty <laughs> early in that game. Chris, you're not that far into it, but – of, of the couple of sieves that you've dipped your toe into, is there a personal favorite? Is there one you really like? Um, I was partial to Greece. It's not Alexander, though. I forget who it is. It's Pericles. Pericles, that's who it is. Yeah. I like the ability to have wild card in my civics. Okay. Because then I can start. I can start using that to pad my agenda, whether I use it to start getting great scientist points or great artist points, or whether I use it to sit down with two commerce points or uh, they don't call them war. What is it? It's uh, military. 
where I would have my barbarians do extra, my scouts do extra par, uh, damage to barbarians. And then the other one would be minus one gold for each unit that you have on the board. And those are both valuable things early in the game. So I, I try, that's another one of the things that I actually like about this, the way that they set the governments up and you can put the policies in and you gain them at random cultural uh, discoveries so to be able to stream streamline your society in a way that puts forward your agenda is just awesome yeah i like little bonuses like that yeah at the same time though is i don't think there's any penalties for switching those in and out every few turns though is there yeah actually there is is there okay yeah and you went around with that that too much yet and that's one of the things i gotta get a little bit better at because you know you you know, you got to think, okay, what do I want to do for the next 20 turns? And then take a look at your policies, right? And say, do I want to make a change? Well, every time you discover something culturally, it will allow you to change for free. Well, no, every time you discover something culturally that unlocks a new policy. There are times when there are some cultural discoveries that don't unlock a new policy and you don't have the option to make the change. Okay. Well, I was playing with a friend of mine the other day, and he changed in the middle, and I wished I could remember exactly what it was. I know there was a gold hit yes. uh, on his way, on his end, and I, there may have been other things, but I, that was the one he was complaining the most about. So you can pay to do it in between, yep. but it costs you. Yeah, there is a gold cost to unlock things in between, if that's what you choose to do. However... Um... Anytime you discover something that allows for a new policy, you have the option to make changes. We'll see. Now, if that was in four, which is what I literally have 20 years in plan, as much as I'm ashamed to admit that, you could change them. And yes, there would be a uh, penalty for doing it. You would go into anarchy. Uh, However, you only got one good thing or one thing that you were shooting, looking out for to get, like you would get uh, plus one trade routes with all the civilizations on the board. Okay, well, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to, if I'm going to go down an economic uh, road, I want to have policies to tweak that. And six does that. Yeah. It gives you the opportunity to have a whole bunch of different things that you can choose from. You can have a hundred percent, um, science production based in uh, all the cities that you have science buildings or the first envoy in every city state counts as two you know you get to choose those things you can you can streamline it so that it's and to have all of the information at the top of the screen uh, in six it's made it easier to remember okay if i want my cultural discoveries to get faster i have to build more uh, cultural buildings and then as the score goes up, of course, the time to discover them comes down. So then I can switch my policies faster. So if I need to make settlers for six or eight or 10 turns, just make sure that my cultural discovery, by the time I'm done making my settlers, now I'm ready to change it into, you know, builders gain one action, new builders gain one action when they're made. Okay, well, now I've made all this, the cultural buildings to make that cultural discovery go that much faster or slower and now i've timed it out so that i can change it out and i don't have to pay for it so i'm not saying this is like spreadsheet stuff you don't sit there and do it but i'm a little ocd when it comes to that stuff and sometimes i'll make a note and say okay don't forget to do this in you know five turns or whatever it is so but it makes it so much easier to do because it's right there in front of you you're working towards the goal and you know you're working towards the goal yeah 
I almost feel like we we dove in ahead and started plowing through comparing different sieve versions to, to each other. And anybody that's not much of a sieve fan probably didn't even hit play on this, this podcast in the first place. But, uh, you know, we, we didn't do any sort of background at all on any of the sieve games at all. And look, it's they're they're four X games, right? They're, they're expand ex, or what is it? Explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate are the four X's that you're after where you're shepherding your civilization through the, the historical periods from the dawn of time up through, you know, beyond where we are today, depending on how you set the length of the game and trying to win any one of four or five or six different paths to victory. And there are certain sieves that kind of lean in a particular direction toward a path to victory, but that doesn't mean you have to follow those. And there are a lot of options available to you for developing your civilizations. And what's what's evolved in the Civ series is that it's not just here are some types of governments that give you some bonuses and here are some... Uh, here are some technical achievements that advance uh, advance what you can do. Part of what's evolved is the way in which the social and technological advancements occur. And Civ Six has completely separated them into two totally separate development tracks that move you forward technologically and also move you forward in a separate sense along a cultural track. Um, and and so. You know, you've got to develop precursor, uh, either culture, cultural achievements or technological achievements to unlock further stuff. And that's that's, you know, a lot of what we're referring to here where Civ six made a big difference is that those social policies, those social cultural achievements are almost their own separate technology track that you develop and your government social policy types, your, your government allows for certain numbers of policies in four areas as military, economic, diplomatic, and and then the wild card, right? Is that what the, the purple I, one's labeled? I believe it's literally called wild card, yes. Yeah. Um, and and each type of government gives you a different number of slots in those different areas. So some of them may have more military, some of them may have more economic, some may have more diplomatic. And then you've got to pick and choose which things you're chasing. And that's part of what Chris was just describing in developing those. the so, so six gives you more flexibility than any of the other previous Civ series games in allowing you to mix and match and customize the things that matter to your government and to your civilization for, for where you want to prioritize your efforts, whether it's going heavy on trade or heavy on, on building things internally or heavy on the kinds of bonuses that you would get from, um, from research on your campuses or whatever. That's that's a big shift from what you had in earlier versions of Civ. And and so there's a little more management you got to do to it. Uh, Chris, obviously, you know, you're the one who's most recently had to make the shift to this, but but Mike, you've been playing this longer than anybody else. Did it take you much time to adjust to sort of those parallel tracks like that? And and how much attention do you really pay to kind of micromanaging both the technical and the cultural developments as those move forward? the the second part i probably pay attention to that a little bit more okay um 
Michael, let uh, me ask. I, I want to yeah. ask you something. I know you're thinking there, yeah. but think about this too. Why did you start playing this? Because I started playing this because I wanted to be those things. I saw that you could build world wonders. You could build Stonehenge. You could build the Acropolis. You could build, you know, the Tower of Babel. And you could take this civilization from the very, very beginning to the very, mm -hmm. very end. And the thing that annoyed me was people that warred me because that usually ended up bringing everything down. Because all I wanted to do was build a big, beautiful civilization and i i don't know if that's anybody else's uh goal in that but i i think six does a lot towards giving you that experience sure so so are you asking me specifically about six or are you talking no asking i'm asking you specifically genre? about how you about why you play them because we're going to go yeah. through all the iterations eventually i mean you start at one we're at six now so we're sure. going to keep with it, but why, why um, did you start to play it? You know, honestly, it's been so long since I picked up the first one. I, I I think it was probably because I wanted to do the world builder type thing, you know, and I think as, as time has evolved, and it's not just with the civilization games, right? It's, it's even with games like Stellaris and Distant Worlds. I want to build something, you know, I just don't want to sit there and, and go and war on people and, or other races and so forth. Um, you want to be amazed. You want to be wondered. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, want the military side of it to be there, to be a piece of it. You know, I mean, obviously the real world is, is you have to have a military of some kind, right? Because like it or not, you don't. Somebody's going to come along and, and and take care of it for you, right? Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. Oops. But they're going to take care but, of you, and, right? And, and maybe air quotes on a podcast. But... <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and and maybe that's where we need to set up one of our games where you can't have a domination victory. You know, I'm push good everybody, that. push. You know, and, and and that's one of the neat things. Honestly, I've I've had six for a little while. I never really picked up into it um, until we started doing the multiplayer. What last year sometime? Yeah. Like some of us, and 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 that's and to me. For me personally, that's where I like it better is, is as a multiplayer game and, and the interactions that we have and, and the chats and so forth. Um, I, I've i worked from home for 15 years, except for when I travel out to customer sites. And for me, you sometimes you're sitting there all day at your desk. Uh, you can have call after call after call and you're working on things and, and all of a sudden you see on your phone or you see this ding and it's like, hey, it's your turn, Mike. Oh, hey, you know what? I've just forcing myself to step away for 10 minutes from my computer and get up sure. off my butt and go do something yeah. and, and, and interact with some other people. You know, we've, we're, we're, you know, Brent, you're down in the Carolinas, um, metal dog, you're in Northern Alabama. I'm in Ohio. A couple of the guys are up in the Boston area. Vance is up in Canada, Ottawa area, you know? And, and so we, it's not like we're all sitting here at the same table. We're, we're all over the place and, and we're talking about different things at times in different games, even. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I keep getting stuck in games with the Boston guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's okay. It's Vance you don't want to get stuck in with. Yeah, yeah. Vance kicked my ass in the first of the multiplayer Civ Six games I was ever in. I, I didn't realize what a right bastard he was until I ended up right next to him and he kicked my ass. And I still didn't finish last in that game. I'll have y'all know, but. Uh, yeah, he he beat the tar out of me pretty good, and it took a while to while trying to recover. I basically ran out of time because Vance kind of ran out the clock on all of us. Uh, 
I was doing a lot better in my other games. Uh, finished in the middle of the pack in, in one of them, and I'm doing okay in the others that I'm in right now. So, Well, see, now the ones that – the two that I'm in with both of you, I one of them I'm doing great. The one that I'm hosting, I got a lot of beautiful land around me. Hugh is next to me. Um, I got a lot of resources. The other game that we're playing where it's the six of us, that game – I'm on some little jungle-infested island with about three grasslands hexes, and I'm trying to figure out where the hell I am because I don't see nobody. There's one city-state. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is this? And I don't know if the, the rest of you guys do this. I do this occasionally. But Dude, you've go- got a built-in moat, and you're complaining. Yeah, but I've played this game long enough to know, especially the, the later iterations, you really have to – any kind of benefit you're going to get – you have to work with everybody on the board. So yeah, giving you a hard time. I, but damn, I just mm, 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 mm. <laughs> Well it's 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 that right there what you just said, Chris, is you have to work with everybody, right? Is just getting one trade route can give you five or six more gold pieces a turn, which can mm-hmm. be huge. So yeah. Yeah. Sometimes some of those first things you open up do make a big difference. Yeah. And and I'm not looking for tribal villages or any of the rest of that stuff. If I come up against them, great. I'll take whatever it is that they're given, but I at least like to know where people are at. But I, before I pass my turn, a lot of times I'll just go ahead and I'll hit the score. And in both of those games, I'm at the top of the board. And the first one, I can see it. I got like five cities. So, and we're only like 50 turns in, so I can see where the score would be up. In the other game, I got two cities, and I'm lost in the jungle somewhere. So either I'm much better at this than I think I am, or you guys really suck. <laughs> I haven't figured out which one it is yet. <laughs> yep. Brand, well, I think you have played... I think it's the second one that I'm Alexander in, and I just got my second city. I've been playing whack-a-mole with, with barbarians, mm. and so... Now, I will say I have noticed in solo games and in other games that I I used to play when I played four. The first thing I built was a settler because it didn't matter what unit they gave me. I was going to use that to protect my settler. And then I'd have two cities and then I would make a warrior in my original city. I'd make a, a worker in my second city and we'd be off and running in this one. If you don't build a slinger. First thing, you're mm-hmm. in trouble because yep. you have to have two units on the board and you have to sneak out a settler in between building another unit because the barbarians are vicious. And on Prince, they're vicious. And the game cheats. I will tell you from right here and right now. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've sat in front of a barbarian generator and there's one warrior on it. And I can see him. And I'm two two hexes away with my slinger, and by the time I get to the hills in front of that damn generator, there's three scouts, there's horse units, there's another warrior. I'm like, really, really? Is this? You knew I was coming, and you did this. Yeah, there was game. one of the games we were playing. I was uh, the Dutch, and and we ha- had to abandon it because it got corrupted somehow on the cloud. And that's the way it was. Is is you're sitting here with warriors and slingers. And the next thing you know, you're facing barbarians with cavalry, mounted archers, and crossbowmen, and you're like, okay. When did this happen? <laughs> I think it was right before – I think it was like right before you joined. No, uh, no and, I was – playing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. They're so mean. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. You know, you could do a, a, a non-domination game where you're focusing in on, on science and religion. You, you know, turn culture. barbarians off. You can well, – uh, you, you, you can leave the barbarians on as far as I'm concerned. And use that as your reason to have to have a little bit of investment in your military. 
Sure, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just you know just I, there, you can do this game almost any way you want. Teams, mm-hmm. I love playing teams. I got a buddy of mine. We play teams against the computer all the time. Although he's a giant pain in the ass, he's always at war. He's like, <laughs> read a book or watch a TV program or something. I'm like, dude, I play a game to play a game. Yeah. So. As the Dragoons proudly charge into their eighth season of Mentioned in Dispatches, we'd like to pause and thank those Patreon supporters who pledged at the regimental patron level. So a heartfelt thanks to Treb Curry, Staggerwing, Patrick Mullen, Mike Quigley, Hepwell Wargames, Patrick Garrity, Robert, Kevin Bertram, and Joseph Knoll for their support of the Armchair Dragoons and enabling us to bring you the best wargaming content we can. You, too, can sign up as a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash armchairdragoons. Now, speaking of playing games, I know Brant's played this forever and ever, and I believe at in one iteration, and I couldn't tell you which one it is, probably three, he told me that he beat it on, like, Deity. Is that true, Brant? I've beat two and three on the highest level they've got. I've beat three. There was a, a three, like a classic edition, something or other. I'd, I'd have to go look what the specific title of it was, but it was the one of it was the one in three where they introduced the agrarian city state type or the agrarian civ types. And there was another one. Cause remember in three, every, there were five different cultural traits and everybody had two of them. Um, you oh, mix the map. Yeah. One of the expansions yeah. added two more cultural traits. One of them was agricultural uh, because that was the Celts. And that's the one that I beat that expanded version on the second highest setting not on the highest one i've beat five on the second highest setting i don't know as i've ever played five on the highest setting i played four like literally two times in my life and never made it more than about 15 20 turns in there was something about four just rubbed me wrong and i never really never really grokked it and it just wasn't a lot of fun to me so i i never finished a game of four i never got very far in four at all i've beat five not just the the base game on some pretty high settings i've also beat a bunch of the individual scenarios um i beat the steampunk scenario a couple of different times um i won the civ 5 scramble for africa game uh running away i was really surprised at how well i ended up doing in that one because the scoring on that one is so awkward in that specific scenario that you're never really sure how you're doing um and uh, and so I, I beat that one. I actually I had AAR'd that one uh, at a previous site where where you could go kind of follow along um, if the article's not gotten corrupted at this point. The uh, I have not beat six in a solo game yet, but I haven't played one fully to completion other than the multiplayer ones, in part because while I'm still trying to just get the hang of six's mechanics. I'm skipping around to a lot of different civilizations. So I'll start a solo game. I'll play 100, 150 turns as a particular civilization, just trying to get a sense of how it plays. But then I'll get the itch to try a different civilization and see how it's going, and I'll skip to something else. So so I've played some longer games as England, Babylon, Persia. I've got a Spanish one going right now. Um, I, I've done a couple of different ones just to see how they play. Um, so I've, I've beat two and three on the highest setting and I've beat five on the second highest setting. Mike, are you a winning player? <laughs> My winning player? 
No, I don't win too often. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't win too often either. <laughs> <laughs> However, I can say triumphantly, as it turns out, I have won a solo game too. As a matter of fact, on six. Now it's only Prince, so I can't brag too much. But I have done something in Civ that Brant has not done, at least yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well. The other problem that I have with some of the Civ games, particularly on the lower difficulties, is at a certain point, you're just so far ahead that those last 30 turns or so of the game just really drag out and kind of put you to sleep. And at a certain point, there's only so much more of next turn, next turn, next turn that you want to keep hitting. And so there have been plenty of times where I've just kind of given up and just said, all right, good enough. I'm going to win this one. Who cares? Let me start another one. I, I can see myself not doing that as much in six because... Six is the first version that I bought through Steam, which includes all the different achievements that now post and all your friends get to see, hey, somebody did this. Uh, so so now I've got to actually like follow through and finish some games instead of just kind of, all right, fine, I'm going to win this thing. I don't need to keep going, you know. And, so that's uh, just the long version of, you're right, Chris, you have done something I haven't done. You have. You have. <laughs> What what it means is that you've you've had the gumption to stick with a game you were probably running away with. <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm interested. I'm interested in seeing the endings because I very infrequently saw them in four. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, but but that's one of the other things too. You know, if if a game is, you know, if if I know that I'd made some critical error somewhere that's just completely screwed things up for me going forward, there's times where I don't mind rolling back and autosave and going, all right, let me see what would have happened if I hadn't screwed this up. Or just completely punting on the game and saying, all right, th this one's dumb. This one's unwinnable. I'm not going to mess with this. I'm not wasting my time. Let me go do something else. Now, I, I don't get the two weeks of my life back, you know, obviously. <laughs> but, well, uh, so you mentioned something about going back to autosaves. I know when I'm fixing to do something that I think is going to change the game, I will save the game. And then if it doesn't do what I think it does, I'll go back to the save. But it's yeah. usually uh, it's usually a, if this happens next turn, I continue. If it does not happen this way, I go back one. So And, and let's face, there's some times where we're going to experiment. Huh, I wonder what happens if I do this. Right, right. Whoa. Oh, yeah, I don't want that. All right, let me roll that back. <laughs> so... So yeah, I, I hear you on those for sure. Um, but Mike, how about you? Are you are you somebody that's going to roll back games a little, or are you just going to plow? Oh yeah, deal with it. No, no, I'll I'll roll back games most definitely, especially when um, learning learning new games. You're trying yes. to take take, you know, as Chris was saying, you know, gee, I understand this part now. I want to be at least familiar with what I'm doing and, and getting those mechanics learned and, and then not having to worry about those mechanics while I'm wrapping my head around other mechanics of the game. Yeah. Hey, look, if they didn't want you to be able to roll back, they wouldn't have given you an autosave feature, right? <laughs> well, there are, there, there are games out there that don't. <laughs> there are billions is one of them. You know, that's a big, yeah. what, you know, that's probably why it gets, why, why the, the biggest thumb down for that game is the fact that the developers are like, well, no, we're not going to let you save and, and go back and, and yeah. learn, learn some lessons and, and, and some other things like that. So, See, I don't understand games like that, though. I mean, I understand that there's a learning curve for each one of them, and I understand that every time you play, you, you uh, 
put more knowledge into what you didn't already know. Now you do know it. So that's great. Mm -hmm. But what is the, uh, what is the reasoning? Why, why would you make a game where it would disappoint you to have to go back? And some of these games, you know, the save points are infrequent or you don't, you've got to do it a specific way or, you know, something like that. And you lose literally hours of a game. I don't understand that. That, that seems like you're trying to not let someone play your game. Yeah, I mean, well, and, and think about, it. I mean, for those that have played the Paradox games, right? Oh. They, 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 they've solved that, right? Hey, if you want to do Iron Man mode, you get one save. You know, you, you can't roll back to previous saves. And, oh, by the way, in the Iron Man mode, that's when you get your, your Steam achievements and so forth, if you want. But for those that don't care about that, that don't want to do that, that just want more of a leisurely game, and, you know, there's your regular save mode. And Civ does that great. Civ does yeah. that awesome. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, if you just want to play and explore, then that's what you get. So yeah, I I think somebody you know some of these you know a developer like like what we're talking about with with they are billions, they just kind of forget that sometimes people just want to sit down and have some fun. You know, yeah. they, you know, they, they 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 don't want to sit there and stress. I, I you know, a game like that, it, it's not something that I'm a I'm going to go out and play a tournament on and be great at it's just one of those things that sometimes i need a a a, a three-hour break on on some some point in some evening or some weekend to just sit there and veg out killing zombies yep yeah i'm totally with you on that me too so i don't want to sit there and make decisions do i do i research culture building or do i research a a, a food building or something like that i just want to sit there and bang 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 Yeah. And, and for that, you know, I mean, it's, it's almost like there's some, some lighter weight Civ games that might fit that bill a little easier with some of the, the, especially some of the mobile or online games that are a little smaller, that are quite frankly, a little dumber, but, but dumb's not a bad thing when you're, you know, like you said, you're just looking to veg out and chill, that that's not the worst thing you could be doing. So. Well, how, how many platforms have you guys played Civ on? I've played it on three different platforms. I've only ever done it on PC. I've played all of the versions going back to one on various Mac platforms. I've played three on a PC occasionally, just a little. I have played a couple of the uh, the reverse engineered freeware versions on mobile devices. I I wrote that article about the mobile the mobile 4X games for the site that I've. Uh, I've played some of those on like tablets. They they don't translate well to the phone. The screen's just too small for the UI. Um, but I've not played anything on a console. I know there was like the Civ Revolutions game that you could play on the consoles, and never messed with that at all. So. Well, the very first Civ game I played was on the PlayStation One, and it was now that I think about it, the fog of Neolithic era, huh? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I love my PlayStation. I used to play um, a couple of SSI games on there. Um, but I, the first one I played was on the PlayStation 1, and it, the uh, the game was great. I enjoyed the heck out of it. It was, it was, of course, it was real basic and whatnot, but even that iteration gave me uh, kind of a thrill about, you know, I'm building a civilization here. Uh, the second platform I played on was the Nintendo DS, which fits wow. in. Yeah, it fits in as your dumbed down game version of it. Yeah, um, it was it was real streamlined. Uh, maps were super small and whatnot, but it was good because it fit in my pocket and I could play it anywhere. And it was still Civ, and it was more. 
it was just kind of something to keep my mind busy. Yep. So, and I've played it on the Xbox 360. I played Civ Revolutions on 360. And oddly enough, I actually preferred the version that was on the DS. Hmm, that's interesting. I, I'd know, I didn't even know it existed for the DS. Mike, you've mentioned a couple of the other Civ Builder 4X type games. Uh, Humankind and They Are Billions are the two you've specifically mentioned. I know you play some of the Space 4X games as well. Set those aside for for now. What are some of the other historical Civ style 4X games that that you've been playing lately? And, And what's one thing that that they do that you like better than Civ and what's something that maybe Civ does better that you like um, something that Civ does that you like a little better in that, in that game. Well, first of all, let me point out that they are billions is not a a Civ civilization builder game. It's more of a a fortress defense game. Okay. Okay. RTS type thing. I I, I would, you know, that would never get more of a tower defense kind of game. Yes. Yes, exactly. Honestly, I think a lot of the Stellaris games is, is, I'm sorry, a lot of the Paradox games, you know, like Stellaris, where you okay. can actually build something. Um, I think where where um, I think Civ has has an advantage is trying to get you to develop your 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 people side of it with with, with civics a little bit more and, and with religion a little bit more. Um, a game like Stellaris, the one thing I really like is is the random is, is the way they run their technology trees and their whole randomness of it. Even even if you go back ten turns on a save, you're not guaranteed to have the same options for your for your next set of uh, of uh, okay. tech to research. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. So what you've uh, you've played with humankind too, haven't you? Yes, some? yes, some. It's a fairly new game, so but yes, I've I've played some of it. Any opinions there? Um, I'm liking it a lot. So it is hex based, but it. When you build a city, you're not just getting like the hex that you build on and, and the ones around it. You're getting kind of a, a, a territory area. You know, it's, it's kind of a large area. And then you can go to a neighboring area. You can build a new outpost there and attach that outpost to the neighboring city and thus grow in your city that way. You know, there's a lot of similarities, but I think there's a lot of a lot of neat twists and, and turns. Like I said, is in, in the early game, you you start off, you can have up to six units in your army. And it's however you want to mix and match those armies. They have the tactical component. You can, when you go into battle, you can control your army, all six units within your army. That can, that, or, or you can have it auto re- resolve also if you wish to. I think one of the really interesting concepts, and I think some people took a, took a negative view of humankind over it, but you change your civilizations in each era. So you start off maybe as the Egyptians, and when you go move up to the classical era, you pick a, you can stay as the Egyptians. There's some penalties for doing that, or you can go and say become the Greeks, and then take advantage of those those oh. traits that the Greeks have. Okay. So so there's reasons to to, to make those changes along the way and, and become a different different people. And and if you think about it, I mean. Think about some of the really old cultures, the, the Greeks, the Germans, the Egyptians. When, when they were at their heights two, three thousand years ago, are they the same today as they are were then? Yeah. Yeah. You know? No, that makes sense. Yeah, that that all makes sense. You know, absolutely. I it, it That reminds me of Small World, the tabletop game. 
where at a certain point you can take the civilization you've been riding and you can push that into decline and take over a, a you know start up another one and, and that's on the rise and kind of build that as you go so mm-hmm. that that definitely does make sense um yeah. To me, that goes a little bit back to my whole, I would like to see some city states be able to team up and come up on the, you know, on the board as a new player or, or even a single city state start to expand, especially if in the Civ series games, if, if one of the, if one of the full civs goes out of the game, you know, China conquers Mongolia. Well, it would be kind of cool to see another civilization, um, you know, sort of come to the forefront enough that they're now an equal partner at the table, such that you always have six or seven or eight civilizations, whatever you set your game for, that you have the same number of them that stay in the game for the uh, for the length of the game. I think that would be an interesting way to constantly have something new showing up in front of you. So like rise and fracture? Kind of. Fracturing, I think, would be kind of cool, too. You know, if you could get them to actually fracture, that would be kind of neat. Well, yeah. For for instance, if China does conquer Mongolia, there's the problem of all those Mongolian people being, you know, pretty mad for a while. And if you put any kind of external pressure on it from city-states or another player, then, you know, it starts to rebel. Or even though it continues to be available to China, then you have... Uh, you know, penalties to what you get from them and they always have an opportunity to rebel. So yeah, there's a little bit of that in six where you have cities, individual cities will rebel against you. If they lose loyalty, they will rebel against you and they will become a free city and then can either operate as a city state or eventually fall sway to another civilization, particularly if there's one really close that's kind of exerting influence on it. That actually happened to me in one of the games where I put a city kind of in, I I put it in a geographically strategic location, but I didn't do it smart enough or early enough in the game where I was going to be able to maintain loyalty for that city. And now it belongs to somebody else because they rebelled against my empire and then, you know, joined with somebody else because of loyalty issues. Been, I don't that part, but it's a lesson learned. Um, yeah, the, uh, I was just going to say the, the, the one civ building game I, I liked a lot back in the day was called a power Two, okay. and, for me, one of the things I liked about about it was just the fact that they, they, they went beyond the current time frame. They they, they let you go yeah. into the future some you could build an underwater city, you know, and, and, and had some futuristic tech in there. And and that kind of played more into my hey, can I build something? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they have it in six, but they've had it in previous iterations where you can do an actual earth where if you're going to play whatever civilization you choose, you come in on the map at the time that that civilization would come in. So if you want to play an early civilization like Egypt or something like that, great. You start the game at the beginning. But if you want to come in later and say be Germany or England, well, then you're on the map. But by the time you get on the map, X amount of time has already gone by and all the rest of this stuff has already happened. So you come in uh, brand new to a world that is quote-unquote fully formed i mean of course you can still expand and do the things you need to do but um i always thought that was neat giant pain in the neck to pick anything past you know egypt or greece or something like that but yeah we did it we did an earth map a few of us did but it didn't have those type of time constraints on it so if you was germany you started in in europe but but it was all everybody started at the same time in game yeah i don't think I don't think I've played that anything other than solo, 
or or maybe I have. I I have a, a friend of mine I've played literally the last 20 years with, and uh, he and I have tried out a couple of different scenarios. It's normally just the base game, but um, we tried that out, and it was neat from the perspective of what has happened since, or if you're already on the board, watching them pop up. Like, I think I played China one time, and India was next to me. As I went further west to go check on things, um, we started finding different civilizations, you know, Persia and whatnot. But you could have gone through there um, earlier and not had anything there. So if you've already gone ahead and explored it, the fog of war is not as deep. So you know something is there when it shows up. You just don't know what it is. But there wasn't anything there when you got there. You know, yeah. when you went through the first time. So that was pretty neat. Yeah, it always works out that way. There's never anything when you're not looking for it. There's always, you know, when you're looking for it, there's, there's always something there when you're not looking for it. Did you ever see a fishing boats in the middle of the ocean? Yes, for whatever reason. I've got a couple of screenshots of a, of a few hilarious goofs every once in a while out there. Um, one of my favorites were the, uh, in Civ Five. And especially with some of the DLCs that got you some different civilizations you could play with. This city states that would grant you units weren't always granting you stock units. So instead of just a musket man or just an archer, you would get a, a specific unit. So if the Arabs weren't in the game, then one of the city state units that you could get in Civ 5 might have been the camel archer, which was the unique unit to to the Arab civilizations in Civ 5. Kind of cool, you know, just a nice little touch until you started to get, you know, some uh, completely off the wall. You, you'd have some tropical military uh, civilization out there somewhere, and they were spawning you Norwegian ski infantry as your, <laughs> as your special <laughs> unit. I'd had some weird stuff like that happen. Um, I always got a kick out of some of the names for some of the great people out there that I had Steve Jobs show up in my civilization once, which was kind of cool. Um, I had some latter-day fashion designer show up in there one time also. I, I don't remember who it was exactly, but it was it, it was somebody like Adana Karen, Kate Spade. I just don't remember the exact name. But yeah, it was some some modern-day fashion person showed up as, as a great merchant for me one time, which I thought was kind of funny. These guys do have a pretty good level of attention to detail when it comes to stuff like that it's kind of yeah yeah they do they do there's there's some good amusement in there so (laughs) we're getting close to wrapping up tonight's episode and so just out of curiosity chris if there was one thing that you would really like to see added into the civ series games so i've already talked about the thing i think would be really cool would be city-states being able to sort of rise to the level of, of being full civilizations and, and the game evolve a little bit, the, the individual game that you're playing evolve a little bit where some civs come and go to, to, to keep a constant number of civs in the game. If you were going to add or add something to the civ series games that doesn't already exist, what's something you think you would really enjoy seeing in there? I mean, it could be like a tactical battle manager, if that's kind of your thing. I normally hate those things. They're a giant pain in the ass. Well, yeah, they can be. But Mike, this question's coming around to you next, so be thinking about the answer. God, they've six has done a lot of really, really good things, and I mean the way that you can purchase great people or uh, the effects that you get from them. Um, I mean, just there's a lot of really good things that have gone on there. 
uh, I have purchased Gathering Storm, and I have to say, I absolutely hate that they don't know how to tell direction. <laughs> I've I've had a hurricane, <laughs> I've had a hurricane blow up, and the little blurb on the side of the the screen says, "This hurricane is going southwest." And then you're like, okay, great. I can move my guy here. Or, oh, my city's going to be spared. And then all of a sudden it goes due north and it wipes everything out. I'm like, really? You know, <laughs> okay, the weather guy was wrong and you're surprised. <laughs> well, you know, natural laws are kind of a thing. Southwest to northeast. That's the way the tornadoes move in Alabama. You know, it's, it's just kind of how that works. But um, I guess if I was going to add anything to the game, it would be something that would that would make multiplayer uh more compulsory for people not because i want to force people out of their comfort zone but i'm with mike on this i uh, all my favorite civ games i can tell you the ones i've played against people i can't even tell you the ones i won in civ 4 but i can tell you who i played with and the times that i had doing it and i i think a lot of people probably have i don't know trepidation or they don't know anybody or whatever, just encourage people to be more in a multiplayer frame of mind. Cause it's fun to play with somebody else, whether you're playing at the same time or you're playing like we are playing through the cloud. So, yeah. Yeah. Mike, what do you think? Something that you would like to see change tweaks, make yeah. different, whatever. So three quick thoughts there. One, I do like that. You don't, that, that when you have your cities going and started, you don't always know what resources are going to pop up. 300 years down the road right so yeah so so that takes away some gamingness on the reverse side though it can kind of be a little discouraging because all of a sudden if you're into the industrial age and you don't have coal you don't have access to coal you're kind of screwed yeah you know so so to me that can be kind of frustrating at times where it's like almost go counterproductive what's that i said go to war well take, maybe take it i mean that you know may, maybe if you know but if you can't get line infantry and you can't get ironclads because you don't have coal and, and the other guy you know does I, I would like to see them go and take some lessons learned from call to power one where they allow you to develop more more of a, a space space um presence you know with, with habitats and so forth orbiting earth not not deep space but just yeah. and same thing with an ocean and then the third thing i would like to see and maybe they have it, and it but it was just a thought that came to me instead of just having your cultural victory or just your scientific victory what if they combine had some kind of combination score of you know hey yeah you know what you're you're doing great you're building underwater cities and and doing this and that that's great you got all this great tech but somebody else over here has, has excelled at, at religion and culture and combined, you, you know, somehow mesh that together. So it's not just a one. It seems like it's, it can be a one track victory. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It does. Um, you know, so rather than just hit a certain score threshold on track A to hit a certain score threshold on a combined track A and B. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's certainly doable. Um, and then call it something else, or well, maybe. But I mean, because now it's a science victory, or it's a cultural victory, or it's a military victory. Yeah. You know. Well, an, an example that I could see might be a combination of cultural and religious victory, where where a predominantly religious culture, um, you know, uses the use, using religion as the primary vehicle through which culture is spread can. You know, instead of 
say this isn't how scoring works, but just as a, as a conversation point, instead of having to hit a hundred points on the culture victory, if you hit 70 each on both culture and religion, that you could win that way rather than so so you would have to exceed the threshold of just a single track victory but you wouldn't have to max it out on both i i could see a mechanism for that that might be you know an interesting way to approach yeah or or you could do something where hey whenever you know your 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 say your science and your cultural victories are set to 70 points right whenever both of those are are hit by any two players, it doesn't have to be the same player. The game comes to an end, and then you're tallying up everybody's score. You may not be the first. You, you may not be number one in either one of those, but because you're number two in both of them, you may become the overall winner of the game. Yeah, because yeah, that's, that's a very euro gamey kind of mechanic. Right? Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking so much for that. I guess what I'm think my my thought process is is it 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 it, it would force people to consider a more balanced approach a little bit in some ways i mean you can still be the leader in your scientific but you can't just totally ignore culture if that's the other measurement that's being used to 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 determine victor in that game mm-hmm. yeah yeah no i i could i could definitely see that or if people hit you know once you hit a certain threshold then you know anybody hits a certain threshold then the scoring start on whatever other tracks might be relevant and and look that is that is a fairly euro game ish mechanic in ticket to ride once somebody's down to two or fewer trains you get one more trip around the map and you're done carcassonne you're playing till you run out of tiles but there's other games where once somebody hits um in jamaica for instance when you're doing you know it's a bunch of pirate ships racing around the island once you get back the first ship gets back to jamaica the game ends and you start scoring. Well, that first ship back to Jamaica might got might have got back empty, but the third place ship is carrying more gold than anybody else. He's got enough victory points from finishing third that when you also pile on all the gold he's carrying on board, he wins the game, even though he didn't win the race. Well, I, and I think in some ways, if you think about this, right? Life has been like that. You can point to the Egyptians and the Sumerians and the Babylonians and say. Well, yeah, they were first. They were great. You know, some of the civilizations are just in the history books, literally today, right? Yep. Yep. And, yeah. You know, the, the the other thing that I was, as you were talking through that, Brant, was how many, I, I, I like to see them do something where maybe you become so advanced at some stages, you know, become an economic powerhouse, so to speak, or you become really advanced in science. You, it, it becomes harder for you to maintain your 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 cultural side. Yeah. How many yeah. countries have eaten themselves up social, you know, internally, and not necessarily violently, but just, you know, they they've just beat themselves up through through their own discourse with each other, versus military conquest or or anything else. Yeah. No, you're definitely right on that. That's that's a very valid point. I want to go back to the point you were making earlier about, you know, hey, you hit the industrial age, but you can't build anything because you don't have access to any coal. One of the things that's that's interesting, I don't know that this has ever happened in any Civ game of 
there are technological advances that reveal subsequent resources on the map. Nobody knew what to do with petroleum until we had developed, you know, the ability to refine it. And so the fact that petroleum might have been on the map somewhere didn't matter because you couldn't do anything with it. So uh, same thing with like nuclear power, right? You don't get to see where the uranium is on the map until you get to the technology level that allows you to actually do something with uranium. And that's all kind of cool. But I don't recall ever in any Civ series you having to have a specific resource first in order to complete the development of a particular technology. And so when you're talking about the idea of, you know, you hit the industrial age, but you don't have any coal to be able to do anything. Well, how'd you hit the industrial age without access to the coal to, to be a fuel source for you? So maybe somewhere along the way you needed to, to actually get a certain resource in order to complete the development of a particular technology somewhere. How good is steam power for you if you, you know, if it's log burning steam power, not coal? I don't re- ever recall seeing that in, in any Civ series game, but it, it seems like it might make for an interesting twist. What do you yeah. think, Mike? No, no, I, I, I think you're right. There's, there's something to that. Uh, although I guess you could make the point though, right? You could get to an industrial, you know, a, a, a mid 19th century industry without coal. It's just, you know, obviously you have to have wood. Yeah. I mean, you would struggle. I mean, obviously you could jump past coal and go, go to oil if you had enough wood to, to allow you to do certain things. Right. Yeah. You know, if, if you're going to be a coal burning Navy, you're, you're, you're going to have disadvantages over an oil burning Navy as far as distance and movement and speed go. Yeah. Now, as many, as many times as I've played this game four does the same thing too. Some of these things don't pop until you discover certain uh, technologies. So I can't tell you how many games I've missed coal and gotten into oil or, you know, plutonium. So if you continue to play the game and don't, there's only a couple of different um, resources that are 100%. You have to have these. Otherwise the game is nothing. Uh, And coal, while it's important is not one of those in four. I can tell you for sure. If you didn't have oil and you didn't have uh, coal, you couldn't make railroads and railroads was really the only way to get around there. I mean, cause the maps were so big and you had to build your railroads and it was, you know, it was a troop movement thing and all the rest of that kind of stuff. So if you didn't have either one of those, you couldn't do that. You also couldn't make tanks. So there was a time you couldn't make anything that needed gas. So not having those really handicapped you, but almost everything else you can get by with without doing it. And if you don't have it and you know, you're not going to have it because more often than not, you reach for those so that you know whether you have to go get them if you don't have them. So as much of a warmonger as I am not, if I know ahead of time I'm going to need coal or oil and I've discovered them and I've discovered I don't have them, I'm going to go find the weakest guy on the board that has them and I'm going to go take them. Yep, yep. Time to go make a mess. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yep. No, I totally see that. So. All right, gents, this has been a fun chat on the Civ series. I hope we didn't put the audience too much to sleep by getting too far off the, the pure wargaming topic. But look, we, we could probably do another five shows just on different Civ topics and then taking some deep dives into some of the specific Civs here and there and some of the ways in which some things could happen. Uh, but but I think we've we've done a good 
job of discussing some of the things we like about the current series and some of the things we'd like to see tweaked and changed and comparing some things to some older ones. And so I appreciate you guys uh, hopping in here to do this. And and Chris, especially the scheduling flexibility to, to work around Mike's other commitments to where we're recording on an off night. So, so I appreciate that also. So, uh, Mike, thank you very much. Appreciate it a lot. Uh, we'll, day. We'll, we'll let the old man get back to his nap. Um, you realize by the time this gets well, no, the Super Bowl won't be played by the time this gets released. It'll be, it'll be a day or two in the future from when this. So, um, but yeah, now you get on the Bengals for getting there, and uh, don't ever anybody, don't anybody ever doubt Joe Burrow again. So, oh God. Well. <laughs> Somebody today made a comment about uh, with with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and some of the guys on the defense was that 2019 LSU team, the greatest college football team ever assembled. And I just don't see how you get over the hurdle of that 2001 Miami team. Um, <laughs> that, that team had 34 draft picks on it and 15 of them went in the first round. I, I, I just I, I don't see how you you ever clear that hurdle of that Miami team that Dan Lebetard once referred to them as a nuclear absurdity. And I'm not Is that sure the team that lost to Ohio State in the championship game. No, that's the team yes. that the that year the before. Year. Yeah, that, that's the team that the year before blew out Oklahoma in the championship game. 60 so. touchdowns, Brant. 60. Which one? The LSU team? Yeah. Isn't that what Burroughs threw was 60? Uh, something I insane so. like that, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you you can give me 2001 Miami, and I'll take it for all the reasons that you gave. But, dude, 60 touchdowns. Well, and, and, and don't forget this. Burrow had transferred into LSU that summer or, or that offseason, no. right? No, it was the year before. That was, was the it? Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was the year, but still, he it wasn't like he was recruited and and spent three years there on the bench, you know, in development with that with that program or anything. He came in. No, Ohio State didn't think he was good enough to start there, so he transferred. Well, right. Well, Mike, but he didn't start the first he didn't start the first season down at LSU though, did he? He did. No, he did. They just weren't as good. Really? He played two. He played two years as starting quarterback. He played two years at LSU. The year before he wasn't as good, and and this that the that year ended with them beating UCF in the Peach Bowl, and then the next year was the year that the the team took off and just blew everybody out of the water. UCF, Jesus Christ, they have a football team. Um, <laughs> Mike, I'm I'm going to say this to you, my friend. I don't have a dog in this fight, and I like a good story, and the Bengals are a good story this year. So I have two words to leave you with, my friend, Aaron. Donald. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was reading that there in the in the forums. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That guy's a wrecking crew. We uh hard. yeah, we we obviously cover all sorts of ground in our forums, uh to include college football and some pro football at times. Um I think I'm the only one talking hockey anymore because I think the other hockey players have wandered off. But uh come on by and join us in the forums to have all kinds of chats. Um by the time this podcast goes live, people will be listening to it during the run-up to the Super Bowl, so we'll have to see what happens after that. Um, Chris, thank you for joining us. I know it's been a while since we've had you here with us on the podcast, so uh, don't take three years to find your way back over here. Yeah, don't uh, don't take that long to have a topic I know anything about. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> I put out an open call on every season and say, hey, you know, let's uh, let's all pop in here, so, so feel free to throw your hat in the ring and say, hey, I want to show up and let's talk about this topic. Because you Marvel know, superheroes RPG. Sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, there's a new version of it coming, right? 
I did hear that. Yes. Yeah. Matt Forbeck's one of the ones working on it. Oh, no so, kidding. So yeah, if you want, when that thing drops, I'll get you on here with Matt. The two y'all can talk about it. And I can just sit here. That'd be great. Sure. So look, if, if there's a particular podcast topic, folks would like to have covered, make my job easier and tell me about it. Don't wait for me to guess and hope I get it right. So even better when you're willing to show up and do some of the heavy lifting by talking about that topic, that, that that's even easier. If you can make my job easier, you know, the, I'm going to like you more and I'm going to put you on the podcast more. So uh, come back around and join us. So audience, thank you. Uh, look, that was, we said good night and then rambled for another eight minutes. So, so we appreciate your indulging us uh, getting a little off the, the gaming topic as a whole and hope that this chat about the Civ games uh, w- was to your liking. Um, and we hope Fred's dog has had a good walk by the end of this podcast. So uh, thanks everybody. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of Mentioning Dispatches. 